bake. All right, to start things off, Jake, I have a question for you. It's Ooh. open in a question. Okie dokie. Uh, famed musician Bjork, how old was she when she released her first album? Oh, man. How old was what, her first album or with that band she was in? Nope, her first album, her first solo album. Uh, I know she was like a teenager or something when she was in the Candy Stripers or whatever the whatever that was. She was internationally <laughs> famous. Uh, I Sugar don't Cubes, what, we'll get Yeah, thank you. Around. Sugar Cubes, thank, that's it. Um, I mean, she was young, so I'm going to say she was 19. Bjork released her first solo album when she was 11. No, shut up. Come on. It was released in 1977. It was self-titled and features Icelandic covers of a variety of songs, including artists like Stevie Wonder and the Beatles in Icelandic. (laughs) Also, she wrote one song. 28 years and a whole lot of albums. In 2005, at the age of 39, she released her hands-down strangest, most avant-garde album, the soundtrack to the strange avant-garde film, Drawing Restraint 9. Yeah, she did. And we're taking a look at it today on... Louder Than Sound. Welcome to everyone's favorite show, Louder Than Sound. Our first and only question for the contestants is... What's louder than sound? Theoretical noise particulates from the 15th dimension? What's louder than sound? Uh, nothing, Alex, because of course this is a theoretical question. What's louder than sound? What is two brothers, who are mostly similar, but sometimes dissimilar taste in music, asking each other to listen to and absorb some of their favorite music albums based on idiosyncratic themes that they likewise force each other to consider? That's louder than sound. Hello there, and welcome to Louder Than Sound, a podcast for two brothers listen to music and then make each other listen to that music but also there's themes involved and we give each other scores sometimes uh and this is a very special episode uh hey what i'm charlie i'm jake oh thanks charlie thank you for yeah, introducing you and us yeah we should probably do that yeah. Yeah. um today after these introductions uh we are going to be talking again as we did last time about single artist original soundtracks um Charlie has picked Bjork's Drawing Restraint 9. Uh, my feeling about single artist original soundtracks in general is that they're kind of boring and are an afterthought in my music listening life. <laughs> okay. The first kind that come to mind are mostly traditional film scores, your Hans Zimmer's, your John Williams, um, etc., etc. I don't think I've ever bought one of these types of scores for my physical music collection. I guess I'm just not that interested in hearing the music divorced from the movies even though I completely understand how essential a good film score is to a good film. Um, This is actually a huge subject, uh, film scores, and the focus of thousands of college-level film courses. I should know, I took at least one in my undergrad days for my music degree. At least one? You mean just one, right? I think it was just one. I took also film classes for some reason, um, (laughs) I think as electives. But uh, for my my music degree, I had to take a, a film one. Um, my big end-of-term project, I chose to study Danny Elfman's score for Beetlejuice. <laughs> that uh, sounds really fun. <laughs> it, was su- it was super fun. Uh, my then-girlfriend and now-wife and I have not been able to bring ourselves to watch the movie since because uh, we had to put up with me playing it over and over and over again to explain the music cues, etc., etc., and really, really dig in there. So uh, I still love the movie, I think. I don't, I'm not sure if I could watch it again. Um, However, these are not the only kind of single artist OSTs out there by any means, 
And despite, despite still not being crazy in general about playing them around the house, my other considerations for which I would choose ended up being kind of an interesting bunch. Um, as you'll recall, I chose uh, Benoit Charest's Triplets of Belleville for the last yep. episode. Uh, but I was also thinking about doing Thomas Newman's American Beauty, Amy Mann's uh, contributions to Magnolia, Johnny yeah. Greenwood's score for There Will Be Blood, and yeah, yeah. Karen O and the Kids' Where the Wild Things Are, which I think you and I had shared that consideration, right? Yeah, no, that was... I. My top choices, other than the one I picked, was Karen O was one of them as well, and uh, Ayers' Virgin Suicides was right. the other right. leading contender. Mm, mm, almost made the cut. Almost uh, made the cut. I think for the most part, the ones that I almost chose are all pretty inventive, and the one I did choose. Uh, whether by instrumentation, as on American Beauty, or with the centering the music around existing music, um, as on Magnolia. Um, then there's also just writing a badass, desolate, violent, four-piece string suite that perfectly matches the film itself, as with our man Johnny Greenwood um, of Radiohead um, in his mm -hmm. score for There Will Be Blood. I put that last one on earlier, and now I'm slightly regretting my choice of the triplets of Belleville. Um, well, as you can't all know, go back, Jake. <laughs> I, I can't. But again, the time machine. Maybe we'll get the. We talked about a time machine at the end of last episode and how you would use it to do something yeah. as frivolous as to change your guess as to what my rating would right. be. Right. When really all I would have to do is just listen to it and maybe uh, maybe we'll do that score another time on this podcast. Hey, who uh, knows? Which will never who end. Knows? Who knows? Um, so I think it's interesting that uh, Triples of Belleville and There Will Be Blood would be you know complete opposites. Oh, yeah. uh, where triplets is fun and playful, there will be blood is like murderous and dark and sinister. Not. <laughs> not <laughs> Just not, playful. not playful. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's my mood lately, but I'm feeling a little unsettled. And speaking of murderous and dark and sinister and unsettling, how about the cover art to Bjork's uh, original soundtrack for Drawing Restraint 9? Am I right? That's a good one. That clown is up to no good. I don't no know what's good. going on there. I have no clue what's going on. <laughs> that clown is a mess. I don't think I don't it's like a clown. It. I think it's related to... Um, oh. Is it Kabuki to, or something? Japanese theater to Kabuki or ah. No theater. I know I I know that No and N O H No theater is part of things. Anyway. Yeah. Well, uh, I'd love I'll take it. it from here. What do you yeah, say? I, I think I'd love it if you just you know you did say? that now. You and the clown. You and the clown. Single artist soundtracks are interesting. I tend to gravitate over ones by artists that I already know and like. Yes. Yeah. In the case of Karen O and Air and Bjork. Okay. And yeah. I it's think about theme. other soundtracks I own. Like I have, I have one by Badly Drawn Boy and I have one by Andrew Bird. And uh, and those tend to be the soundtracks I usually end up with. But I end up picking Bjork's. It's an interesting one and I will get to that. But let's start with Bjork, who mm -hmm. is herself an interesting one. That's a that's a kind that's a nice way of putting it. It's she a, is an I love Bjork. I like Bjork a lot, and I and I I I I, uh, I guess that you probably didn't. I I suspected I actually, that. I, 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 I'll, I'll put it this way: I don't I don't love Bjork, but I certainly okay. uh, you know I certainly appreciate what she's done. I just for whatever reason oh, yeah. her music isn't my cup of tea. Well, generally. she is. She's one of the most unique, fascinating, idiosyncratic performers making music today. Yeah, that's a phrase true. I t I'd used like word for word when I talked about Tom Waits several episodes back. But it's completely <laughs> true in completely opposite ways. These two are yeah. nothing alike. But she's so unique in that in, in that way. There's a lot of musicians like that. You know, even going back to like big people like Bob Dylan, for instance, that can be very divisive because they're so idiosyncratic and unique. Or Beethoven. Some people find Beethoven. Or Beethoven. For instance, people go way back. <laughs> yeah, go way back. <laughs> But Bjork's one of that. So Bjork has a fascinating career, much of which I didn't know about until I started uh, 
researching for this podcast. First of all, Jake, her last name. Bjork has a last name. She's got one. Mm-hmm. And now is her first name actually Bjork or is that a stage her first name? First name is Bjork. Okay. Yep, no. Her, okay. name, her real name that. is Bjork Gudmundsdotter. Gudmundsdotter. There it is. You heard it here, everybody. Gudmundsdotter. Wow. Sweet. Yep. Her first album, as previously mentioned, was in 1977. Uh, she doesn't really like like to talk about it anymore. It's not really a part of oh, her. Oh, you know, even though she was 11 life. years old? She was That's 11 so years old. She sang some song on the radio or something and got a record deal after like somebody heard her and gave her a record deal. It was something that yeah. kind of thing. I think it's Iceland. There's not a lot of people there. I think if you had, you know, some solid musical talent, you just got a local. Well, there's something there's something in the water in Iceland. There's a lot of musicians, uh, groundbreaking musicians that come from there. Well, at least her and Sierros, you know. Yeah. <laughs> those guys. At least those two. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of other great. I mean, people, what's right? the population? What's the population of Iceland? Like twelve? That's like a no, that's like a healthy. That's a healthy it's gotta be less. It's probably less than New York City. Oh, for sure, I would think. Anyway, she uh, she had the option to do another album afterwards, and to her credit, even that, and chose not to. Okay. But she went on as she got older to be part of tons of bands, including Spit and Snot, mm-hmm. Exodus, mm-hmm. Jam Eighty, Yep, Happy Tigress, my favorite, Rock and Rock and Drum, heard of them, Kukul, <laughs> and the Elgar Sisters. <laughs> And worked in such diverse musical styles as punk, post-punk, goth rock, jazz, jazz fusion, and indie rock. I didn't hear post-post-punk. Is that in there? Well, or, or pre, she, had, she didn't get there. She didn't get there. Okay. She didn't go to post-punk. Well, not yet. Not yet. Pre-punk? No. Pre-punk. <laughs> Her first album was out in 1977, Jake. She was not active during pre-punk, okay? Mm, I, mean, I mean the style um, pre-punk, not, not necessarily the... Style. Well, yeah, the you're style. getting that up right now, so there's that. Well, get on it, Bjork. <laughs> Her best-known early band was, of course, the Sugar Cubes, also mentioned earlier. Um, they got some level of fame, some level of notice in the late 80s and early 90s. An indie rock group with yeah, wide range of popularity and definitely made it out of oh, yeah, Iceland yeah. on that yeah. one. They broke up in the early 90s and Bjork started her solo career. In the middle of that, she also released a jazz album that she also doesn't like to talk about. <laughs> Um, so she started, she did her third solo album from 1993 is named Debut because <laughs> she just wanted you to forget yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Really We're going to make it perfectly but clear. But it makes a lot of sense because that's really when she started right. her true solo career. That's her first actual album. I, I, I get Yeah, it. absolutely. Um, so she started in a solid, popular, likable pop style with some definite House influence, which was, House influence was a little bigger deal in 1993 than it is sure. now. Where, you know, it's like not even cool anymore to have an House influence because it's been done so many times. And she continued that through with debut and post, both really well-known albums that sold a lot. For as strange as she is, especially as strange as she got, she does have a very wide range, like big popularity worldwide. And she sold millions of albums mm-hmm. and stuff, oh, yeah. which is kind of impressive. But a lot of it is those first like three albums when they're a little more straightforward. I think her sales lessened as she got stranger and stranger. But basically each album for those next 12 years was stranger and more avant-garde than the last in a variety of ways. So here's a few ways in which she uh, she kept going things. So she kept introducing more and more non-rock instrumentation, including lots of strings, choirs, harp, clavichord, and a very unique electronic processing and beats. Mm-hmm. Uh, much more meandering, meandering open song structures, mm-hmm. increasingly undanceable. Uh, increasing world music influence, including musicians from around the world, not just pulling stuff, but actually bringing in interesting, unique musicians from around the world and putting them on our albums. Uh, increasingly political lyrics and sexual lyrics. Um, 
she got much more into album, the full album experience, um, including, you know, unique costumes and videos and very out there in this big, like, push out for the album. I kind of think of, like, Bowie as, you know, the very much the template for that type of thing, of having this new persona and this now look that goes along with the new album. Yeah, like a new, multimedia, a whole, yeah, a whole thing. Yeah, exactly. And it's not just a new sound of the album, but all these other things, these pieces that go with it, a very different show, a very different arrangements of old songs, all that kind of thing. Um, she has a very distinct, emotional, evocative vocal style that like, keeps getting stranger, including grunting and strange, unique tics. Um, listening to some of her music this time, it actually made me think a little bit of Meredith Monk. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you're, I, I only know some of Meredith yeah, Monk. Yeah, no, not, not very much. Is known for her really weird vocals and just doing these grunts and these strange noises and rather than, you know, using it as this pristine, you know, singing instrument, but using it in different ways. And I feel like Bjork has taken on more of that. And this whole, like, trajectory kind of climaxes with 2004's album Medulla, which is uh, 95% acapella, including choirs, beatboxing, and a prominent Inuit throat singer. Yes. Which, very strange. And I, that one came out when I was in college, and I definitely subjected my roommates to that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet they loved you after that. Oh, yeah, Brett. <laughs> You're listening right now. Poor Brad. You got sick of that one. I know you It's like, what happened to the sugar cubes? <laughs> I don't own any sugar cubes albums, I'll be honest. <laughs> and this, like, seems to be this big climax. It just goes, you know, through these albums. It keeps progressing there. And that seems to be the peak. But, but wait, Jake. There's, she goes one step further. There's, there's one other. <laughs> oh, wait, there's one. So more. this is what we're talking about today is the soundtrack to Drying Street 9, which is a little, like, it's, it's more of a, it's a lesser known album in her yeah i didn't know about it in her over um <laughs> she would afterwards release a couple albums that weren't that great and then she got her mojo back and her two most recent albums are really good again but in a different way okay but again it seemed like she was in this kind of trajectory of getting stranger and stranger and stranger and it reaches its apex with the soundtrack to drawing restraint nine so drawing restraint nine is a film uh, it was created by avant-garde artist Matthew Barney, mm-hmm. who I have an art degree in my background, I'm a bachelor's degree. Like, he's very well-known. He's a very well-known oh, contemporary okay. artist. He honestly is. Like, he is a big deal. I did not know that. Um, he, at the time, he was Bjork's partner. They were together from 2000 to 2013. Got it. And he is best known for his video work, actually, but more of a installations. And anyway, Drawings Through Restraint is a series of artworks in a variety of media, including photographs, drawings, sculptures, installations, books, and films. Um, they're currently, he's up to at least 19 in the series. It's hard to find like all kinds of information about this, but this, it being Drawing Restraint 9, it's number nine in the series. Got it. And so there's, it, this nine, film. there's, and there's other stuff that with it. There's 19, there's 19 a day. They're not all films, but this was the, to me, this, from what I'm reading online, you know, which is a little limited to understand all this. Of course. It feels like it's the most ambitious of them, and it kind of feels like it's the center point. It's a full-length movie. It's over two hours long. Um, but along with it, there was a big art exhibition, including drawings and notes and all kinds of work he did planning this whole thing out. I, uh, I have not seen the movie, because I can't figure out how to see the movie. <laughs> like... It's not available for rental. It's not available for purchase anywhere you can find. You can't buy it. On, like, you can't even like, buy it used on DVD as far as I can tell. Like, wow. So I saw some trailers and stuff and a few clips online, but that's all I managed to see. Is it one of those, is it one of those art world things where like, they put it out once and then that's it? If you didn't see it then. Maybe. If you didn't see it then, well, too bad. Well, yeah, 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 I was there. I, I, like, I couldn't even find it like... You know, incredibly overpriced used. Right, which is weird. Maybe I don't know weird. the right places to look. I don't know. Now, you need the dark web for Drying Restraint 9. Oh, absolutely. Just get on, hop on. 
<laughs> but it puts the album in an interesting place because there's no, I don't have a true context for it. Like it comes across then as an album, but it's also a soundtrack. And we talked last time some about how yeah. soundtracks don't always work perfectly as albums because they're not meant to, that's not the primary purpose of it. it, isn't to be an album. No. It's to help this film and guide, you know, do stuff to this film. And then you also get it on soundtrack. It can be very interesting. And this is a very interesting album, though. You know, we'll talk more about that later on. Um, so I found some online summaries of this movie, and I think you're going to enjoy them, Jake. I can't wait. So this is a taken from a review from Slant. Mm-hmm. The film casts husband and wife as Occidental guests aboard a whaling ship where they'll partake in an ancient marriage ceremony that will end in gross, breathtaking mutilation. <laughs> Sounds good. Outside the liner, a group of women scour the ocean floor for shrimp, apparently. Uh-huh. Bjork and Barney, approaching from either side on small vessels. Inside, a series of characters help the couple undress, replacing her red and fluffy balls and strings outfit and his Wellesian getup with Shinto meets Inuit garb. Okay. An epic, unbearably long tea drinking ceremony initiates the couple's marriage. <laughs> the next ship, a giant jello mode is filled with a strange liquid. <laughs> Could it be the same fluid the couple drinks from the conch shells they receive from their host? <laughs> You'll have to find out on the next episode of Drawing <laughs> so, Restraint. There are a few different. Yeah, that know. sounds that the sounds like a real is, a real winner. It seems to be very like visually arresting and really interesting to watch okay but long and slow and unbelievably pretentious of course which should sound familiar if you've listened to the soundtrack (laughs) (laughs) boom (laughs) nailed it (laughs) spoiler alert (laughs) all right here's another review from empire magazine so yeah so matthew barney you got that from there matthew barney is the other like him and bjork star in this movie as well right sounds like it so, from Empire Magazine, conceptual ar- conceptual artist Mar- Matthew Barney and conceptual pop star Bjork team up for this art installation of a film. The plot, if such a word can be used, concerns a mold full of Vaseline on the deck of a Japanese whaling ship, <laughs> a Western couple slicing bits off each other in a flooded tea room below decks, and much pseudo-religious weirdness. Japanese uh... whalers, it seems, sail with a full complement of geishas and small children in case there's a chance to create a labored metaphor for the creative process. Mm, mm, that sounds like a crowd pleaser. I can't believe this wasn't <laughs> this wasn't a blockbuster. That's wasn't that. a blockbuster. No. All right, couple no. more, couple more quickies here. Okay. Detroit Free Press: uh, Drawing Restraint Nine belongs to an endangered species of experimental film that walks the line between challenging and alienating its audience. Mm-hmm. That was actually was a little mm-hmm. more. Fun. Okay. Little and our last one's from AV Club that I pulled out. Though Drawing Restraint 9 can't help but play more like a museum piece than the sort of thing most people would choose to watch with a bucket of popcorn on a Friday night, Barney's keen sense of composition and trancing feel for camera movement keep it moving at a pace that rewards immersion. Well, there you go. There's something. There's so, something. And so, having listened to the soundtrack a bunch of times, like, from my understanding of this, I feel like they really are well-matched. And, I, and there was several... Uh, Several reviews that mention that too, how well the soundtrack goes with it. Okay, that's. But that's from all those enough. descriptions, I feel like the the good parts of that map well with the soundtrack, and the bad parts of it also map well with the there soundtrack. There you go. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating soundtrack, but it's not always good. Listenable, lis- listenable, <laughs> listenable. <laughs> yes, listenable? Yeah, yeah. I think is the yeah. word you're looking for. <laughs> so at this time, I'm going to hand things over to Jake to give his impressions of this album. Um, Jake, I, I, I gave my thoughts on this. We work on a negative five to five scale for these albums. Um, based on your personal preferences, I think you don't like this very much. Okay. 
I gave you, I'm guessing that you gave it a negative three. Negative three. Okay, strong. 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 Well, All right, well, I think I'm about tell to... Tell us about it. Tell us about it. I think I'm about to surprise you just a little bit, but maybe not okay. But maybe okay. not for the reason that, like, I love this soundtrack or anything like that. Right. But here's what, here's what I hear going on. I hear a lot of bells and gamelan-style music and mm -hmm. interesting percussion instruments or possibly found objects at times, um, lots of those types of sounds. I hear uh, horns and what you could almost call orchestral passages. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to know from you if you knew this. Um, are there any synthesizers on this, to your knowledge, besides an obvious example, like in the song Storm, which is uh, very on the nose, by the way. Yeah. It sounds like a storm. Right, right. Oh, right, right, uh, I don't know that there are synthesizers, but it has been treated and... Some of it's been messed with afterwards. Okay. And there's definitely some programmed uh, beats. Yeah, definitely some programmed beats, yeah. I don't have written down. I don't think there were any, like, just synthesizers. Like any yet. of the instruments were actually synthesizers or anything I like that. I think they're all actual okay. synthesizers. Cool. So, again, there's, like, FX and stuff on stuff, for sure. Yeah, okay. In places. I appreciate that. Um, there is sometimes extreme dissonance in the music, and by that I mean harmonies less than a half tone apart. Um, with those darned accordions on whatever song that was. <laughs> uh, also, the gamelan bells are naturally dissonant despite their beautiful tone, simply because they ring out for so long. I hear some very recognizable um, and express interest in experimental music. This is what I'm mostly hearing is like post-classical experimental music, some yep. real like 50s and 60s, you know, um, academic style um, experimental stuff. I can see stuff. that. Um, some definite emulation or homage to composers such as Harry Crumb, especially on the track Holographic Entry Point. Um, there's unexpected timbres and instrumentation throughout, and I'm mostly proud of Bjork for not filling this in too much with her usual bombast. Uh, her voice remains her voice, which is a unique instrument all to itself, uh, but even that's pretty sparsely used. Um, she is not the star of this music, which nope, she, which she, she only sings composed. on three songs. That's right, and I don't know, one of them I'm not sure we call singing. Um, I think yeah. that the I think the music is surprisingly disciplined, and each track retains its own character and charm. Aside from the really creepy ones, which to me are the unlistenable ones, um, some of this experimental style music can sound really ponderous and kind of self righteous to me. Um, like, look at me with my eyes closed, playing these quarter tones on a nineteenth century squeeze box for this <laughs> unintelligible and disturbing film that I'm in. It was apparently. a show, by the way, Jake. Oh, I'm Obscure sorry. Japanese instrument called this show. It That's got right. much more pretentious than you even thought. <laughs> I couldn't even imagine <laughs> the depths of its pretension. Um, I imagine, now you've told us something about the film, but I imagine while I was listening um, that this is a really, really weird film, if the score is any indication, and I look forward to never seeing it ever. I had absolutely zero expectations going on with this, except for the fact that you said that it's some of Bjork's strangest musical choices. Um, but I've never been a huge fan of hers, so the context for that statement was lost on me anyway. Um, in terms of my score for this, um, would I put it on just for funsies? No. No, I would not. Um, I, have a special, I have a special little segment here called Not Standout Tracks. We'd, we usually mention some of our standout tracks, but I just want to, I got to mention some not standout ones. Okay. Um, the track, I, have, I, have, I mentioned some as well, actually. Uh, the, the, I've got my favorites and my least favorites. Exactly, exactly. That's just natural. Uh, Pearl. Uh, no yep, that was on my list. No thanks, Bjork. That's weird and gross and disturbing. Let's just, we don't, need to, we don't need to do that again. Um, that's just her making mouth noises. They're gross. It wasn't her. It was she got somebody else to do it. Oh, great. Who's <laughs> famous for throat singing? Oh, oh, that's a throat singing thing? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the song Bath is very creepy. Um, Storm is really too overstimulating. Um, 
an holographic entry point, which is a lot to sit through. That's like nine minutes long. I'll talk more about that one later. Uh, the worst of That's these, on my list also. The worst of these songs, for my preference, are really tough hangs. Um, but I stopped caring for the listening experience of truly experimental music a long time ago anyway. Um, my butt, I do have some standout tracks. I would isolate some tracks and listen to them again, mm-hmm. which is maybe maybe what uh, would, would be surprising. Um, Gratitude, the opener. And that's, is that Matthew Barney singing? No, it's did, not. Okay. Um, it's actually, it's actually Will, Will Oldham. Oh, Bonnie I Prince love Billy. Will Oldham. Yeah. Of course. Uh, so this the, is the one we meant, I mentioned in the last episode that I included a track off of this on the same mix CD that I put a track so off of. So it was that one. It was, it was that one. Yeah, I don't remember that. I don't remember that. I love that song. Yeah. It's a good one. It's really good. Um, I didn't recognize his voice. That's, that's interesting. Yep. Um, uh, Ambergus March. I think of saying that right. Ambergus. That's Ambergus. Ambergus uh, with those lovely chiming bells, mm-hmm. and then uh, I actually like I actually liked Hunter Vessel, which has kind of stylistic changes and some weird relevance to the triplets of Belleville. I actually recognized <laughs> some some something in there was was kind of the same. Um, I even liked Sedacea, Sedacea, a bit. I think I'm trying to remember that one stuff, man. That was one of the ones that Burke sang on. Okay. Uh, I think that's a nice. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's a nice setting for her pipes. You know, she she does have a she does have a very interesting voice. Uh, that can yeah, be she used does. Well. Um, so instead of a negative three, I give the whole endeavor a a zero out of five. Okay. Hey. Wow. And uh, I definitely had a interesting experience listening to it. I think I think what I ended up recognizing was some of my training from long ago for my music degree. I I did study experimental music quite a bit and. There's there's quite a lot on here that uh, that reminded me of that, so it's kind of a it's kind of a bit of an homage, and I appreciated it. Okay. All right, all right. Well, there we go. Well, back over to me. My thoughts on it are very similar to yours, honestly. Uh, I actually started with Empire Review, which it doesn't entirely I agree with, but it's worth noting. Uh, Empire says the Bjork composed soundtrack veers from lovely to irritating, but the whole long drawn out result is pretentious art nonsense. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And they go a little stronger than I would say. He's yeah, a little but, stronger, but he's not. But he's that not first, necessarily that first wrong. statement that it veers from lovely to irritating. Yeah, totally true for sure. So as Jake says, she only sings on three songs, but there is a lot of instrument, uh, interesting instrumentation. It features prominently the show, which is apparently an ancient Japanese instrument, and she got like some master show player. But that's what sounds like the accordion. That's oh, the show. Okay, that's like what a that is. Six reeded right. instrument or something. Sure. I don't know what it even looked like. Has some harpsichords and gl- a lot of glockenspiel. Harp, Celeste, there's brass on multiple songs, and there is a no singer. You got an N-O-H, no, mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. ancient Japanese uh, theater dance. Uh, my favorite songs in here, Gratitude was one as well. The first track on there sung by Will Oldham, a.k.a. Bonnie Prince Billy. Um, according to Bjork's site, in English, the text of a letter from a Japanese citizen to General MacArthur, thanking him for lifting the U.S. moratorium on whaling <laughs> off the nation's coast, from 1946. <laughs> so that's a real letter that they, somebody dug up somewhere. I don't know. Wow. Wow. But I love that song. No, I it's great. That's one of my favorite Bjork songs ever. Okay. And boom. I put, that on, I put that on mixes before. I also mentioned uh, Ambergris March was a really good one. Um, the first half of the album just veers between like amazing yeah. and unlistenable. Yeah. Like and track then it's by a little, track. Really. Evens out at the end and then we end with, uh, we'll get to it. Uh, but I really like, Bjork does a lot of that. Vespertine is the album. That's my favorite of her albums. But she has a lot of this kind of like ringing tones, these glockenspiels and these, yeah. this mallet percussion that really like, 
she was like, I custom made music boxes in that album and stuff that are really unique and interesting. That sound is, it's just something you don't hear a lot in modern rock music. I don't know. Um, the other one I mentioned that you mentioned this, you didn't like this one, but one I really liked was Storm. You did like that one. Okay. I did like that Zenon. So they actually took a vocal performance of a different song of hers, like a live performance of it, and they chopped it up and did all these effects and they added in these, you know, there's sound effects of wind and there's storm stuff happening in the background and it's, it doesn't have a real beat or anything, but it has, it felt to be very evocative. I really enjoyed that one. Okay. Uh, my top two songs that are difficult to sit through are Pearl, which Ooh, you mentioned. That's rough. It was a short one at least, but yeah. it's the second track. It's disgusting. And it's <laughs> it's, just it's disgusting. throat singing and there's no beat, there's no melody, it's just this... It was hard. But to and me, then, I just I just want to make it clear that like you please go and listen to it if if you're interested at all. But oh, and, and yeah, it's not yeah. it's not like traditionally throat throat singing. Like it's not like a droning chord or a tone. It's like no. sloppy like mouth noises is what it sounds like, <laughs> and it's just like gross. It sounds like something being chopped up or whatever you were saying about the plot of the song. Anyway. And then in particular, holographic entry oh, point. Oh man, yeah, which is sung by a traditional like uh, no singer and so i don't know a lot about this and i did a little bit of research but bork went bjork went really into japanese apparently there's a lot of japanese influences in the film and she went into a lot of japanese musical stuff a lot of uh, research on that side um to learn more about this and she really seems to have let let them go here in a big way on this one uh so the whole song is this guy singing this weird vocal style and about half partway through some like loud banging starts happening in the background um, no kind of no discernible beat and it's 10 minutes long yeah and that's what it gets it is it's 10 minutes long it's it out there baby minutes. it's out there and if the thing were three minutes long i might have been okay with it like i could see the setting of mood but when you're listening for 10 minutes that's that's a song you, you skip after a while so the album as a whole is very strange but it's also very unique and it is a fascinating listen and even when it's bad it's still like a fascinating unique yeah, yeah. listen it is. And so this is not one that I like just put on every once in a while, or, but, you know, like put on for the family or something. But every once in a while I listen to some tracks. Every once in a while I do give a spin all the way through. Um, but yeah, it's not that much fun. It's not that much fun to listen to back, like front to back. So I actually gave it, this is another one that we're actually really close. I gave it a 0. 0.5. So Ooh, you, just, <laughs> you bumped but, it up. Oh, that's interesting. And it was okay. interesting. This is the first, you know, time one of us presented an album that we didn't consider great to begin with. Yeah, right, right. No, that's true. <laughs> but I only considered like, you know, well, it's very yeah, I mean, it's it, it exists. <laughs> it exists. And I'm glad, I, I'm not like mad yeah. that it exists. It's just. No, not at all. No, it's, it's it, is, it is interesting. No. It is yeah. interesting. Okay. Well, wonderful. Uh, we are going to be doing something strange, or at least it feels strange as we sit here yeah. in early November. Uh, we are going to be doing Christmas music next time. Whoa. For you, day. it'll be starting with our December 18th show. We're yeah. recording this, you know, about a month ahead of time. That's but. right. That's right. So we got to start thinking about Christmas. We've been putting it off, but you know, it is after Halloween, which means it's Christmas season, Chaz. Oh, baby. Everyone knows that. Oh, baby. <laughs> So I'm going to be uh, discussing the Phil Spector album from 1963 called A Christmas Gift for You! That's what the exclamation points. You have to say it like that. <laughs> from Phil Spector. <laughs> and the whole episode will be a Christmas gift for you from us! <laughs> a Christmas gift Love. for who? For you! <laughs> so we a hope... Christmas gift from Louder Than Sound. Absolutely. Uh, so this is Jake, and that's Chaz, and for both of us, we're saying goodbye from Louder Than Sounds.